0: Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different pallets that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. This month of August, we are talking all things estate. And I wanted to talk about how implementing an estate plan can also protect your finances. It's an important topic. So what we want to dig into this month before we talk about a winery that we discovered, stay tuned because it's at the end. Yes, I'm doing this at the end of this time. We want to talk about the importance of different legal documents that you might maybe you know about them, but you may not know the actual need for them in some cases. So we're going to walk through those different documents, what they do, why they're important. And we're going to encourage you to reach out to an estate planning attorney and work with them, if not estate planning, then an elder law, but something, somebody that you can work with. Uh, This is one of those things that people will often ask us if they can do it online, and we encourage them to do it with a person. We also know that many of our clients have legal plans and open enrollment is coming up. You can enroll in your company's legal plan, look down through the list, select an estate planning attorney there and work with them on some of these items as well. So without further ado, we're gonna dive into the documents you need to know Uh, around estate planning. We are not providing legal advice here. I wanna make that very clear. This is something that we want you to work with an attorney on. We're just purely providing education. So what are the documents that you actually wanna be thinking about when you're thinking about estate planning? These are some of the ones that we talk to our clients about. Medical power of attorney, HIPAA authorization, financial durable power of attorney, guardianship papers if you have children, possibly a living trust, possibly an irrevocable trust, maybe a living will, and family and self-letters. These are, again, some of the documents that we know. We will be covering each of these as we go through the rest of this podcast, and I've uploaded a summary if you're wondering how you're supposed to retain all this. So check the show notes out for that. So let's dive in. What is a medical power of attorney? A medical power of attorney allows individuals to make medical decisions when you are unable. The principal can state health care preferences, meaning you as the individual, can state health care preferences and limits on decision-making authority. Now, anyone over the age of 17 really should have this medical power of attorney. And if you had children over that age and they're in college, we absolutely encourage you to have one of these on file for them. This is really critical because after your children are 18, then it's not your right to actually know that information. So if you want to be able to make decisions, then you need to have that on file. You will need this, well, there are many reasons that you would need this, but you will particularly need this if you are unconscious and not able to make decisions or the best decisions for your own care. How do you make important decisions while you're high on morphine or in severe pain or unconscious, right? Those are things that can put doctors in a really hard spot, which isn't always good for their decision-making abilities either because they don't know what you necessarily want. They have no one to talk to about this. They also don't always have a full medical history. Um, If you're on vacation and something happens to you, they might not know your full medical history. The doctor can legally consult with someone such as a parent or a family member if it is life-threatening. However, legally, it's their best judgment that must be used. It doesn't mean they need to authorize a second opinion or transferring you to a different facility that has better results or ratings. It also means there um, that they uh, have very little accountability. I mean, doctors don't look at it from that perspective, but they're you know they're acting on their knowledge that they have, but they honestly don't have anybody that they can bounce ideas off off from. So when you're making this decision. <sighs> to as to who you're going to name as your primary medical power of attorney, you also want to be thinking about who's your secondary. So like in our family's case, I spend half the year, almost half the year down in Florida. So it makes sense for my parents, not just to name me as their medical power of attorney, but also perhaps my brother, because he's very close by to them. Or if you have somebody in your family that is very knowledgeable around uh, any kind of medical related terminology, they may be your primary and somebody else be your secondary. Certainly some medical background is a plus, but it's not necessarily the requirement. You can also have your medical power of attorney hire a medical coordinator and then allow them to get reimbursed for that cost. There are some very experienced nurses out there who have great background and connections who who can be hired to be the interpreters between the medical power of attorney holder and the hospital systems. Uh, in any case, make your list and then interview your potential proxies or let them know what you're thinking. It's really important that they're willing to take on that responsibility and they know that that's their responsibility. Sometimes you need to go outside the family. Um, so it's it's important to know those kinds of things. Uh, there's actually a website that you can go to to learn more about that. Um, It's called powerofattorney.com. And although they do have some downloads, again, we strongly encourage you to consider working with an individual that's trained and knowledgeable in estate planning. Uh, That particular website does have some medical, general, and durable limited power of attorney real estate tax and uh, parental power of attorney forms for you to, to look at. I, I just, I know I keep saying this, but I really want you to be working with a person on this one. This is one of those times that we really feel it's worth the, the investment that you're making. Okay, the next document or form is called a HIPAA authorization. A HIPAA authorization stands for Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. In order to protect privacy, laws uh, referred to the to. Um, To as HIPAA were passed to prevent medical facilities and doctors from discussing any person's medical condition, history, and billing information. There are two exceptions. Under certain life-threatening conditions and information can be shared when the individual that has a HIPAA form authorized. Now, who should have this document? Again, this is one of those documents that anybody over the age of 17 should have, in our opinion. It authorizes the people you care about to be able to get information about you. It also means the people that you want to get information about, to they need to authorize that um, it be shared with you. It's probably the same list you put together uh, for those people who need to have a medical power of attorney, to be honest. Ideally, uh, these documents should be completed and available to share with a hospital or a doctor on demand, so they should be in a secure cloud folder as well. Often, doctor's offices will have you sign this form, but it's limited to their their office, so you want to have something that can be used globally as well. Everybody in the family wants to know about your condition and about what's going on, but it doesn't necessarily want to... Um, You know, you don't necessarily want them to be making decisions. Um, You might want a family member to be able to call in and not have to bother a spouse or other family members that are making these decisions. And so you could name them too. Just a reminder, this also means if your grown child is in the hospital, you can't find out their status unless you either have a signed HIPAA authorization on file uh, or your, um, potentially their medical power of attorney. This is one that should be used for hospitalizations or serious medical issues where people will want to know how you are and how you're doing and even how to get access to your medical bills and, um, history on you. This is one of those documents that actually survives your death. So if if you uh, pass away, then the person that's HIPAA authorized can actually get information about you with this form, or at least that's what I've been told. Um, it, you also probably want to give your financial power of attorney uh, HIPAA authorization, potentially, because that would give them the ability to settle any final bills if something did happen to you long term. Generally, you will complete several forms, grouping people based on the amount of information and interaction you want them to have in the medical community. So typically, your choices for medical power of attorney will have full authority for past, present, and future medical history, drugs, tests, billing, prognosis, all that sort of stuff. But for others, you may want to limit the power of attorney um, or just grant, uh, I'm sorry, uh, prognosis and current treatment. You could have your financial power of attorney and author an authorization that allows them to receive information for claims and payment purposes. Also, you could also appoint one person uh, and another one as a backup is the person that can get information and then they can post the rest of the family. There's something called the Caring Bridge. It's a program for families and friends to track progress and communicate with individuals in serious medical situations. And as long as the entire circle knows what the plan is, it can be an efficient way to um, keep people informed and disseminate information and only have one or two people actually have the HIPAA authorization. The next document that we want to talk about is your financial and durable power of attorney. Um, The what a financial and durable power of attorney can do is authorize the individual to act on your behalf in financial manners. They can do things like real property transactions, such as selling your house or renting it out. They can do personal property transactions, such as selling everything you own in a garage sale. Now understand this does not go beyond your death, So this document ends when you pass away, but during your lifetime, these are some of the things that they can do. They can even sell like securities, move money around, access your banking and other financial institutions and do the things that you would normally do. So in other words, for financial transaction, this person really is just you. It is a powerful role. And certainly if left unconstrained, it can be an incredibly, um, It can be one of those things that can be not so good as well. So you want to pick carefully, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Anyone over the age of 17 may want to have one of these. Uh, I'd love to see somebody for their 17th or 18th birthday, get one of these. I know it sounds crazy, but that is something that again, once they turn the legal age, then you technically no longer have the authority Um, This can be used if you're uh, incapacitated, unavailable, if you have diminished capacity or when it's inconvenient. Uh, I know there was a couple of times where Brent signed as my power of attorney because I couldn't be in the location that something needed to be signed. So it made it very helpful. It can also be something that um, you know. If somebody is incapacitated, incapacitated, excuse me, then bills can still get paid and won't things won't get canceled. The decisions are serious decisions and require someone you trust and someone who is uh, good at handling finances and doesn't get overwhelmed. Basically, not only do you have to find one person, but you generally need to find a backup and sometimes even a third. In addition to those characteristics, you need to make some decisions about which powers you want to give. You can make it durable. Uh, You can make it a durable power of attorney, which means they can be you today and in the future unless you revoke it. Um, It doesn't get taken away if you become incapacitated. That's the durable clause. You can make it a temporary power for given dates. You can even make it a springing power, which means that it is permanent, but not useful until two medical professionals sign that you are not competent enough to manage your finances. Given the power, given the power that this power of attorney document has, it's important to make sure that everyone and anyone taking this position has a fairly good understanding of your situation and desires. We recommend the power of attorney holder join you maybe once a year to just be up to date with your financial situation as well. And an issue to be aware of, sorry about the pause, but an issue to be aware of is that many companies will not accept a power of attorney. They especially are unwilling if the power of attorney has not been signed and dated within the last couple of years It is best to add the name of the person um, to their documents, potentially as a trusted person or um, trusted contact in today's world. That often is very helpful to get get answers when needed. Another type of document or decision to be made is guardianship. Uh, Guardianship is something that you give someone other than the parents the right to make decisions about their child. And of course, we think that any parent that has children should have somebody named as the guardianship and parents should know that when they are unavailable to make important decisions that possibly, you know, the guardian could check in most, most times, um, you know, it's, Again, maybe it's something that's just temporary in nature because somebody's on vacation. But most times, it's a you. You really want to make sure that you think through who's going to be named, as well as possibly give them medical authorization. If you trust a grandparent or a friend, they could be named. Often, you know, it's somebody that has similar values to you, so that um, you know there isn't. Uh, change in their lifestyle should they need to be appointed. And it could be some, in some cases, it could be getting access to like vaccinations and tetanus shots and other medical history, or something as easy as signing a permission slip. So, you know, depending on who provides caregiving for your children, sometimes it's nice to have those kind of limited abilities as well. We often talk about another document called the trust, and there's a couple different kinds of trusts that exist. The two predominant ones are ones called the living trust, which basically acts as though it's you. And then one is called a revocable trust. An irrevocable trust, excuse me. And that irrevocable trust actually removes the assets from you and you have to have a separate trustee appointed. They're no longer considered your assets. The living trust is also known as a revocable. So you've got your revocable, which is AKA living trust, and then you've got irrevocable trust. A living trust is a trust, like I said, that you create while you're alive. You put most of your assets in that or you name the assets maybe as a contingent beneficiary or sometimes a primary beneficiary. The assets are technically owned by the trust, not you, but you have access to them. And they're they're still subject to creditors under certain, um, you know, they're still considered yours. A living trust is like a combination of a financial power of attorney and a will really it addresses both in your situation, what will happen while you're alive, what will happen if you're un- incapacitated and what will happen upon your death. What's good is that these trusts avoid probate. So no one will know the exact extent of what your assets are or who gets them and they can be highly custom customized. The benefits of a living trust are centered around two areas. The first one begins with privacy. Only the trustee and anyone else you deem to have the right to know about it and the courts potentially will know the details. Do you have a child, nobody, um, you know, that for some reason needs some extra care? That's where a, a good trust can come into place because there's nobody else to necessarily take care of that child. So it could have a special needs trust. Um, Sometimes it's you don't want your estates passed with too much knowledge, and that's perfectly fine. Basically, a living trust bypasses probate. So it can be very confidential in nature. Managing finances is another reason over long periods of time to a living trust. For example, if you're concerned about developing dementia and, and want it to be easy for families and, and your trustees to manage things, then a living trust gives the trustees all the powers that a durable power of attorney designates, but it can also continue on after your death without complex transition, transactions and transitions. The money starts in the trust, supports you through your lifetime, and it stays in the trust supporting you and your heirs until decisions are made and conditions are met to terminate it. It will, however, complicate your life initially because you you have to move all the assets over into the living trust for the, for the renaming part. It does take a little bit of work. A living trust is needed during transitions and sometimes... Um, when multiple properties are owned or as you're aging, maybe you just want to keep it simple and you don't want to go through having to probate your assets. Not everyone needs a living trust. It's true that many um, people that have substantial assets or seniors choose to get one because of the privacy from probate and potentially fear of dementia. If you aren't certain, talk through it with your estate planning attorney. They will walk you through whether a trust is actually needed or not. One of the other areas that we talk a lot about with our clients is something called family and self letters. There's actually a document called five wishes that we utilize with a lot of our clients. This gives you an opportunity to really talk to your family about what you'd like for them to know about you. What are your five wishes? And it reiterates that it also talks a little bit about what your end of life um, might look like or what you'd like it to look like. We encourage you to go out to fivewishes.org. It is a non-for-profit organization. Or if you work with us and you have not gone through the five wishes exercise yet, simply remi- send, uh, send us a note and we'll send you out a uh, link or send you resend you the link that we've sent you in the past. I know this is not something that's exactly uh, fun, but I, I think for many people, once they've gone through the exercise, they see the benefit of it significantly. Another document that we talked to a lot of people about is something called a living will, which identifies the type of care you want and incorporates advanced derivatives that guide people through like doctors and caregivers. If you're terminally ill, seriously injured in a coma or late stage dementia, basically any near um, end of life decisions by planning ahead, you can get the medical care you want, avoid unnecessarily um, suffering and relieve caregivers of decision-making burdens during most moments of crisis or grief. You can also help reduce confusion or disagreement among family members about choices you want, People to to make on your behalf. So, advanced directives aren't just for older adults. Any unexpected end of life situation can happen at any age. So, it's important for all adults to have these documents prepared. When you uh, complete this document, you will be making decisions about such things as um, medical ventilation. Uh, taking, take over, to take over breathing, uh, tube feeding, dialysis, antibiotics, comfort care, organ, organ and tissue donation, and possibly even donating your body. You may have incorporated this into your medical power of attorney, but by having this clear legal document, it will also help hospitals and, and doctors know what you want and feel comfortable following your instructions. We also want to talk to you about the typical will and testamentary trust. Now, that's something that is, in our opinion, a a basic. A will basically helps explain how to distribute your assets upon your death and when. It also establishes things that I've already talked about, like guardianship if you have minor children. Well, it's unlikely both parents would die in a car accident. It is possible. I I would um, I would think that it you know just having that down because if something like that were to happen, it's possible that one's severely injured and the other passes away. You want to have it clear who would step in and help take take care of your your children while you're incapacitated. If you don't have a will. Basically the state has one for you. And this is where people say, Oh, the state's going to take all my money. They call it intestate. They're not going to take all their, all your money, but they are going to tell you exactly how your estate has to be, um, has to be implemented, uh, it, it, it might appoint a guardian that you might not. So, you know, when you have young children, that's really important. That's why we keep talking about it. And if you have special needs children, it gets even more complex. So it's important to make sure that you have that clear, um, since the state has a will for you, anybody actually ta- I mean, again, it's not, your will the way you might want it, but there is guidelines as to how things need to be filed. If you don't have children and very few assets, um, maybe you're just starting out, you might be fine, but we would encourage you to consider it. And then if you have what we call a blended family, you definitely want to have a will that has it very clear as to how your assets would be distributed upon your death. Who you um, give those assets to is completely up to you for the most part. And, you know, there are some restrictions that you might want to be aware of. And when you talk to an estate plan attorney, if you're going to leave a child out, they might have some suggestions for you that will make it very clear um, what the rules are around that. You also need to decide who's going to be the executor and have a backup. The executor should be comfortable with the legal and financial issues or be willing to hire somebody to help them with that situation. The will is the last communication that you will have in most cases. So it's really a lot of times if it's not clear, it can create a lot of hostility among family members. So the clearer is the better. And finally, one of the things that we talk to people about is funeral plans. I know this cannot be the most exciting thing in the world to think about, but we recently lost somebody that we absolutely adored and loved. And she was very clear on what her final plans were. I'm not talking about pre-paying. I'm talking about pre-planning. And she was an amazing woman and had it very clear what she wanted done. She wanted to be cremated. She wanted to be um, put back into the earth that way. She wanted to have one heck of a celebration of life. And let me tell you, we enjoyed every moment of it. Um, we missed her dearly, but we felt her spirit there and her plan was very clear what she wanted and and you know, she took the time to map that out. Nobody questioned what she wanted. So that's something that's very important as well. Uh, this is your final wish and whoever, However and whoever you want it implemented is completely up to you. We spend all of our lives creating family and then when we've missed just a few pieces of communication, we can put them back into a sibling rivalry for the last remnants of their lives. And and let's try to avoid that by being very clear with your estate planning documents. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Wine and Dime. I know it was not the most exciting one as far as, uh, you know, having hot tips on anything particular, but it hopefully was very educational for you. And if you did enjoy it, we ask that you hop over to iTunes and you rate this show and share it with your friends so that they can start listening and get this great information or what we hope to be great information as well. Thanks all. And now for the, the winery that I mentioned, I was going to hold off until the very end. So uh, I mentioned to you that there was a new winery that we very much um, wanted to promote. And the exciting thing about this winery is that it has a connection in the in the name, the way the name is listed. So. Uh, I was recently contacted by a winery that is out of Rochester and the Finger Lakes because they saw in my window a sign where we promote um, a wine, a new winery of the month or winery of the month from you know the, the Finger Lakes area. So they saw that in our window and they decided to reach out and contact us. Well. Brent and I, while we were taking our staycation, (laughs) we decided to make a trip up to Hammondsport and actually visit this winery. It's called Living Roots, which is why I was so excited about it. Obviously, Rooted Planning Group, Living Roots. We were very excited to come across that common denominator. Well, let me tell you about the uniqueness of this winery. The, the two of the couple that started this winery, one is from South Australia and the other one is from Rochester. And all I can say is you just need to go up to their winery. You need to make that part of your journey. It was unique to say the least. And if you like oak barrel aged Cab Sauvignon, you are going to love the one that they have at the tasting location so living roots wine and winery on keika lake please uh go out to their website scope them out, scope them out and even better hop in the car or hop on a plane and come visit their winery we think you'll very much enjoy it that's all folks we hope you had hope you enjoyed the show take care Bye bye. and that will about do it for today's episode of wine and dime you can contact amy through the website